0: And welcome to the Football Hipsters podcast in association with the Burkett Wonderland, also a podcast. My name is Chris, I am your host, and uh, it's been a little while since we've done one of these particular branded pods, if you will. So uh, do bear with us, dear listener. We um, we wanted to get together really just to have a little bit of a wag and uh, just kind of discuss the events of uh, the last couple of days, week. So uh, I've, I've cobbled together... The, the finest ensemble that I could, and uh, what an ensemble it is. So I shall introduce them first of all. Uh, ladies first, naturally. So, uh, Lana, how the devil are you?
1: I'm good, all things considered, I suppose. It's been a very emotional week. Uh, a lot of therapy sessions and a lot of soul-searching in terms mm-hmm. of choosing clubs.
2: <laughs>
1: so yeah. I'm, I'm on the market for a new club.
0: Are you Are you over last night? Are you, are you, are you still in mourning?
1: What about last night? I don't know what you're talking about.
0: No. OK, let's move on swiftly. For those of you who don't know, Lana is a Leon fan. We'll just leave that one there. Uh, next up, um, it's been a while for this man. I'm, I'm genuinely delighted to have him back because I've been bugging him and bugging him and bugging him. And eventually I got my wish. Uh, Mr. Ross Bramble, how are you doing, Ross?
3: I'm doing all right. Thank you very much. It's uh, it's strange to be back. A bit of a retirement talk. But uh, yeah, thank you, mm-hmm. very, thank you very much for having me.
0: You are very welcome. It won't be your last. Trust me, we'll, we'll have you back. Don't you worry about that. Um, and last but not least, uh, for our live viewers, don't be deceived. He's not hiding behind a paywall. You don't have, It's not pay-per-view to see his cam. Uh, Tom is our special guest of the evening. Um, Tom is a complete newbie, um, so he doesn't have a camera yet. We're going to sort of dig down the back of the sofa and sort him out, I'm sure, for the future. But, uh, Tom, as a, as a new guest to our pod, um, why don't you introduce yourself and just tell us a bit about you, and, and your, where your kind of love for football has, has come from.
2: Yeah, so um, yeah. firstly, thank you for, uh, for having me on. It's quite uh, a weird uh, feeling being on this side of it. But yeah, so um, basically I've been a Maidstone United fan all the way down in the, uh, the National League for about six years. Um, I started off watching football mainly on the big screen, uh, started following Manchester United quite closely. Um, and then as soon as I realised uh, my local team... Um, kind of had quite a following. Went down to one of the local games, um, and ever since, pretty much fallen in love with it. Um, so it's been somewhat of a, an unorthodox start to watching football, I suppose. But um, yeah, I've I've loved every minute of it ever since. And um, yeah, it's uh, thank you for for having me on.
0: Yeah, more than welcome. Uh, I'm presuming you found us through the football hipsters when we were a standalone podcast then rather than from the Arsenal side.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if you recall. I, I mean, I used to watch that and listen to it religiously while I was at work. Um, and always used to try and think up questions that I would yes. have down, down the pub <laughs> with the mates and that kind of thing. And just throw a, a spanner in the works to see if I could get like the the conversation going. Because uh, yeah, yeah. I, I enjoy that kind of that debate um, in football. So, yeah, that's basically where... Um, I came across you guys at first and yeah, just been keeping an eye on ever since really.
0: Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff for you You're Very, very welcome. And uh, for our, our live listeners watching, um, i just say a, a quick hello to uh, there's a couple of people there Raging Demon, Matt Roberts, um, Phil McHenry, a couple of people there. say hello to you all. Basically, what we're what major kind of reason for, for coming together is fairly short notice. We, we just wanted to talk about, I guess, the state of football a little bit now. And there's no point in me saying, Sort of, have you have you seen what the events of the last few days? Because everyone by now who's a football fan will be fully aware of the the whole Super League and the fallout of it. Now, obviously, when when we first had this idea, it was still officially a thing, and uh, now all of a sudden, here we are, a couple of days later, they've stolen our thunder and they pulled the rug from under us. But I think the the overriding sort of thoughts, feelings, emotions, and all that goes with it stays with us. So, um, Lana, I'll start with you. We'll, we'll kind of just open arguments with sort of between us or open council, if you will, between us all giving our views. Just give us your perspective on what's happened because you you do follow Leon, as we mentioned at the show, but you're also quite a, a heavy Juventus follower and and um, Agnelli has been at the centre of quite a lot of this. So what, what's your perspective been of, it, been of this whole situation in, in football? Where do you stand on what's gone on?
1: Oh, where do we begin? I'm so disappointed. <laughs> Obviously, I'm totally against it. Uh, because I believe that fine UFA is corrupt as it is, but at least the smaller, you know, quote unquote, smaller clubs get the money to be able to, you know, do well, have the money for the academies, to be able to produce players, you know. Uh, so just like the fact that, you know, clubs like Ben were able to come into the Europa League, get a good sum of money that they can, you know, invest into the club with this new so called Super League. It's basically the richer getting richer and screw the rest. And for me, I find it very ironic that a man who's been so uh, hellbent on being the best can even beat the likes of Porto, Leon, or Ajax. And no disrespect to those clubs because they did a phenomenal job compared to what Juve did, who had Ronaldo, who was supposed to, you know, win us the Champions League. Uh, so I'm like, please stay in your lane. Uh, try to actually win before you think that you should be up there with the best uh I just find the whole thing embarrassing uh and I'm just like it's hard to be associated with UV these days to be honest
0: yeah yeah it uh, has been ooh, so many things going on and especially I'm sure we'll come to certain certain uh, presidents in, in Spanish football that's uh, certainly something we'll we'll bring up may I
3: um may I quickly jump in with a, with a follow-up question for
0: Lana absolutely yes
3: far away because this is something that interested me when I saw the the press release um, on Sunday night. The, the, the very brief mention of a women's version of this Super League. Um, what was your view on that? Because I know you follow women's football a lot closer than I'm sure many of us do. Um, it, it seemed very tacked on. It seemed very additional. It didn't really seem like they were really putting that much thought into it. Was it... What was your reaction? Was that kind of lip service for you or was there actually, in your view, any potential for that to, to really kick off in the way that the actual Super League was?
1: Well, I am of that opinion that women's club uh, need to up their games, clubs in general all over Europe, to reach the certain level that Lyon has. We see that with Barcelona, with Bayern, with Chelsea and City now doing really well. Uh, so for me... I just find the whole concept of Super League really stupid. I just want women to be treated equally as the men do. I obviously that's going to take a long time, and for me that's more important before we can create a Super League where the you know the elites should be in it because by default then that means only Lyon and Wolfsburg should be in that Super League, uh, considering they've been the two most dominant clubs in Europe, especially Lyon for the past decade. So if we're going to go by, you know, who's the best teams in Europe. Uh, so I saw a brief mention of it. I saw also the reactions from the women. Uh, Ada Hegeberg was completely against it. Just in general, a lot of women were. So I'm just happy it didn't happen, to be honest. Uh, let's, you know, just have a quality in the game going forward before we can think about even creating something else
3: yeah it felt felt to me like a very much like a token gesture when i saw it on that on that thing you know, like it's is a big thing about how we're going to change football forever oh yeah by the way <laughs> the women can have it as well it seemed very very off to me very distasteful
1: yeah. yeah like change the club within first then you can talk about oh let's have a super league for the women as well
0: yeah, there's been a lot of statements, hasn't there? Where you just feel like there's been bits added and tacked on to statements. Um, and we'll certainly cover statements in a bit as well. What about your your thoughts on it, Ross? Because again, for those who might be new to our channel, you're a uh, Southampton fan, and um, we were just talking off off air before we recorded. And I think you probably even even more than me, but certainly during the pandemic and probably a bit before, there was that little bit of love for football that just kind of. I wouldn't say ebbed away, but we've just been feeling for a while like it's just not the game maybe that we knew and loved and and just slightly felt a bit disconnected. And then you get dropped with this information. And as a a Southampton fan and somebody who follows or followed a lot of teams in the Championship and below, you were kind of on the outside of this looking in and looking at these these big, quote-unquote, big clubs what was your kind of take on on the whole thing and in general like how it would have potentially affected your club and and the league as a whole well
3: i i was livid when i saw this news on sunday and god knows i've exhausted myself in all my best speeches on the matter <laughs> earlier in the week um if only i could screenshot all of the things i said in our group chat on um, monday tuesday but um i was i was livid when i saw this because you you You've got to remember that my club was League One in 2009, just been docked, I think it was 12 points at the time, and had just been relegated to League One, almost went out of business. And when we were bought out by Marcus Lieber, there was a five-year plan of how to get us back to the Premier League. We did it inside three, and inside five, we were in Europe. Um, I remember distinctly the night that we played Inter Milan at St. Mary's. I rushed home to do a podcast with with you and Lana to talk about how Southampton had just been Inter Milan 2-1 at St. Mary's. It was, and still is, one of my fondest Southampton memories. But that was being stripped away with this Super League. You know, League One clubs dreaming of another run like Southampton, or all like Leicester. You know, Leicester were League One at the start of the 2010s, I think it was, or 2013, I think it was. They went down there, whichever year it was. And then within inside a decade, in inside I think it was even five years, they were champions of England and they were in the Champions League. These are the stories that make football what it is. This is what being a football fan at a lower league level, you know, that's part of the thrill is seeing your club rise up the ranks and, try and make sure that you you can see a path for your lower league club into not just the Premier League, but into elite level football with the Champions League level, Europa League level. This would have taken that away. And I think the thing that threw me the most, I mean, obviously the greed was was the first thing that we all thought is like, oh my God, how can any of these clubs just try and break away just to save themselves some money? Doesn't surprise me by the way that Barcelona and Real Madrid are the last two standing in this thing, given they have the most debt. Um, But the the second thing, obviously, was the competition. You know, the fact it was 15 teams locked in for 23 years and there's no relegation and you basically get five teams passing through every year, but the other 15 are locked in and they're fine and safe. But the thing for me was just the elitism of it, the the sheer elitism to say, it doesn't matter if you're a Southampton fan and you dream of one day getting back to Europe, screw you. You're not going to get there because there's only five spaces in this Super League. And even if you finish above Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal in the league, if Southampton finished fourth, you know, there's no guarantee that we'd even get into this Super League because there's only five spaces. So how exactly do you determine that? What's what's the reward for a club like Southampton or West Ham this season or Leicester? What's the reward for these teams for overachieving? What's the reward for getting above the teams that are locked into this Super League? But, you know, it, it, it was just staggering that they were basically saying that fans like me, who support a club in League One, that dreamed one day that we'd managed to get back into the Premier League and have these amazing nights, was basically just being told, well, you don't matter. We you know we don't care about you. We don't care about those dreams. We don't care about the path up to to the to the Super League. It didn't matter. It was just locking in these fifteen teams and locking in the money and the dreams of football fans across the world just didn't matter. For me, I was I was staggered by the elitism for the for so many clubs to basically just turn around and say I don't care about Southampton fans. I don't care about Everton fans. I don't care about. Crystal Palace, Burnley, or if you go down to League One right now, Hull City, Ipswich. Who's to say that they won't be Premier League in five years' time? Who's to say they won't be doing a Leeds or a Wolves and they'll be challenging for the European positions? The audacity to sit there and say that those fans don't matter and those clubs don't matter and those dreams don't matter—that blew me away at the start, and I was I was surprised more more fans of your Arsenal's, your Liverpool's, your Man United's weren't more taken aback by that themselves, but it seemed at the time to just be swept up in the emotion of the competition factor. And these fifteen teams being locked in, and no one seemed to to really give a mention to the teams that are dreaming of that European place.
0: Yeah, yeah, well said, and, and that's a perfect transition to to bring in Tom on this one as well, because Tommy, like you're, you'd be looking at if we look at your kind of um, your non-league perspective from the football pyramid side of things. That that sort of revenue that's coming in at the top level for these clubs that are attracting that kind of revenue, if that's suddenly taken away that drip feeds all the way down the leagues and especially down to a to non-league perspective. Your local club you, you you're following is, is Maidstone. What was the reaction locally for you specifically and 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 fans of that kind of level of club? Was, was there a bit of an outcry for the game or was it more an outcry at the greed of the, the clubs at the top?
2: I think, to, to be honest, a lot of uh, local fans around us were it was almost like a ha ha told you so kind of approach really because currently at the moment the non league our main source of income obviously is from your ticket sales but then you're like the the best perspective i can put on it is with the fa cup so currently I know a couple of seasons ago people, especially local to me as well, were mentioning there was this idea that the f a cup might get disregarded because teams weren't really taking it very seriously, and they were going to funnel this idea of football through like nowadays like with this this whole super league thing so to get rid of the f a cup for like a non league team is kind of the equivalent of branching off this super league is for the other Premier League teams, and for non league fans looking at this happening. Although you're still frustrated because a lot of non league fans do also follow like Premier League teams as well. But there was this whole idea of um it's kind of like this is what we feel like, as if like you've been disregarded, like Ross was saying, as if we don't give a toss about what you guys are up to, we're gonna go away, pocket our money, do our thing, and everyone else is just gonna have to well get on with what whatever they choose to do. So um from my perspective, it was just I think the first well, my first response was just Anger, really. I think the whole the whole idea to disregard fans um, at any level, regardless um, of how how the team plays. um, This whole beautiful football idea. Um, When you go down to non-league and you see the quality of football, the quality of football is not there, but the integrity of the game still is. Um, And when this whole idea of stripping down the whole basis of what football is and the competition behind it, um, it was. Yeah, it was quite soul-destroying, really, to see it slowly unfold. Um, but its I'm, I can't speak more highly of... I know you guys might have slightly different views, but I think the backing that it got to shut it down very quickly, um, for me, was quite refreshing to see because I did have a feeling there was going to be a bit of hesitation with how teams, players, um, managers, people higher up in the club would hesitate to try and put some sort of backlash to back the fans. I was worried that the fans weren't really going to get much of a backing from the club because I think that a lot of um, owners, as I've already shown, they don't really have much uh, much regard for the fans apart from the money that they pay towards certain aspects of the club. So to see everyone kind of come together and funnel towards everything, just to try and knock it down, and I, I didn't expect it to be killed as quickly as it was. I thought it would be something that was going to be very ongoing um something that would be fought back with um by quite a lot considering the power and the money that these these owners have of their sides um but yeah i suppose now i've just kind of hit the the relief stage i don't think personally that it's completely over i don't want to be naive and assume that it is um but for now um yeah i'm i am glad as to the outcome of it especially yeah from from a non-league perspective anyway seeing everyone come together was yeah really refreshing to see
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll touch on the fans in a minute because I think that's a really important part of, of things. Lava, I just wanted to ask you, like, from a French perspective, I was talking to um, my colleagues on the French Football Podcast on, on Monday and we were talking about like what teams essentially would have even got into this league. And there seems to be this, there seems to be kind of a, a thought process going around that had both Bayern Munich and in, more specifically in, in our knowledge base, PSG, been invited or more importantly had accepted the offer to come in then this league might actually have have been pushed over the line it was more that there was a couple of teams missing and those two being the two that are being reported as as the ones they wanted PSG's situation is very complicated isn't it because of their ownership and and there's a quite um a heavy reliance on the Qatari side and I think a lot of that's linked to the World Cup so I don't think they were ever going to do anything before this World Cup happens or doesn't happen in Qatar but from other French perspective, or from other French teams' perspectives, you as a Lyon fan, I mean, there would there would have been other clubs that surely would have looked at this as have teams like Ajax, for example, and said, "Well, what about the Marseilles and the Saint Etienne's, and indeed the Leons of, of French football who who weren't invited to this?" And extending that even into the German league, you know, you your Dortmunds, or maybe best not to mention Schalke in light of their last twenty four hours. But there's there's some big clubs that were left out of this from a french perspective how how did it sort of go down based upon what you've read you know sort of french journalism wise i know you follow a lot of people that i do how's it gone down over there in the fact that in particular psg were not involved in this
1: i think it was kind of amazing in an ironic way because you look to psg as the big bad wolf in terms (laughs) of you know being owned by the Qataris. with the money and everything. But it made sense that, you know, Nasr Al Khalifa said no. The guy owns all the sporting rights in the Middle East, most of Central Asia. He has a huge, you know, uh, sponsorship deal with Jordans, Kylian Mbappe being the poster child of that sponsorship. He has the, you know, World Cup in his back door. For me, I think... If I'm if I'm being logical and thinking from his perspective, I don't think he was ever gonna want to join. The man wants to be king of the world, and he wants the competition. You know, he want to be able to beat the best, and for him, the best are in you know in the Champions League. It isn't by default, you winning against a certain team because everyone can beat everyone on their day, as we've seen in the past. I think that PSG saying no was a huge sign of, you know, uh, just basically, no, we're not going to sit with you. We're going to stand with UEFA. And that was pretty amazing uh, for League One as well because that means they're not only protecting their own interests, but also the club's. Uh, around because without the money the clubs aren't going to be able to invest into their academies and produce world-class talents that go on you know to join bigger clubs uh, to just you know uh, be put on the map of football who is going to produce the next you know Rafael Varane the next Kylian Mbappe Mawar, if there isn't money for other clubs and PSG I think knows this and I think they also knew that it would destroy the league uh, itself. I mean, Aulas was very much against it. Uh, I also know that, you know, Massey probably would have wanted to joint just because, you know, the fact that they could be able to play in the Super League every season, uh, despite being so shit, uh, would have been beneficial for them. But it would have been, you know, in the process, uh, a huge uh, catastrophe for League One in general. But if they would have picked certain clubs, I think we would have gone by who's got the most coefficient points of the club. And in my opinion, the top three would be PSG, Marseille and Lyon, Uh, Mm -hmm. just because of their performance in Europe over the past decade, Uh, especially Lyon, if we're going to go by top two.
0: Yeah, we'll leave Marseille's. (laughs) Uh, Marseille's uh, Champions League campaign this season may be out of that question, but uh, overall and, and over over success, yeah, you you have to say that that would be the case. Um, and just just on the Italian side of things as well, we're looking at the, the, the Italian side of the game. Uh, Inter and AC Milan, again, you could argue historically, yes, and and we are on the brink of, of probably seeing Inter take this Scudetto for the first time for a while this season but you could also argue again there's a lot of big Italian clubs that were were not in this conversation I look at Roma I look at Lazio you could probably say Napoli uh, in terms of tradition and and, and historical basis of a club could probably go even further down I mean you you could even make an argument for Parma who are about to go back to Serie B so there is there is this little bit of modern day elitism in this as well wasn't there and, and I think that was what a lot of Italian fans was it the Sassuolo manager who spoke out very passionately about this and and he basically said this might cost me a, a big job in the future but I don't care because football's more important the Italians are not they're not um they're not backwards in coming forwards about their views oh they would be fair to say how has it gone down in, in Italy in terms of those clubs that either have or haven't been invited in
1: not very happy. I think most of them already despise Anieli. and this just, you know, uh, put put it all over the top. Uh, this is a man who said that Atalanta didn't deserve to be in the Champions League. I yeah. mean, uh, so his, the issue here is that Juve fans feel there's too much scandals every year with him. Uh for a man who, you know, wishes the club to be the creme de la creme, to be the best both in Europe and in the, you know, in Italy. I mean, we've shown we're good at home soil. It's just the fact that we have this choking habit in Europe that seems to, you know, continue to follow us. And I think just some of, you know, his quotes have just been too ironic given how it all panned out. And now he's burned so many bridges that I think it's, I wouldn't say impossible, but very difficult for him to negotiate with other clubs uh, to have, I think the team in general trust him. If we're going to go by what the English club said, they had no idea that this was going on. And I can only imagine that's the same case for the other clubs that the manager and the players didn't know. So, the whole trust issue comes in, not just for the fans, but for the players as well. Like, the consequences of this would have been huge if we're going to go by what UEFI said, by we're going to ban players from featuring for their national team. So then the question is, do you turn out a huge weekly payment and risk losing out on representing your national team? So. I just hope they all get banned, point deduction. I know we can't relegate all six in the Premier League, but everyone from starting next season should all start with them at least 10 minus point deduction. That includes Juve. Like, I do not care. All of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the one thing this is... Sorry, go
1: on. There has to be consequences for what they did. And fine, uh, it's not fair on the players, but... Everyone in their statement said, we did this. We took the club's best interest into mind going into this deal, which means that as a whole, they acted as a club, you know, a whole club in general, which means that everyone has to be punished in the process, which is seems very unfair. But for me, I have no issues if they all get slapped with the transfer ban or whatever, because just the fact that they did this, destroyed so much, the bridges burned, the, you know, the relationships with different organization as well, uh, and their trust to the fans. That's what pisses me off. It's the fact that Arsenal started with an apology, uh, which then finished off with this condescending tone. And then they copyrighted the whole statement. And I'm like, that's how you sent out an email to a customer service.
0: Yeah.
1: So it just not, not, nothing felt sincere. You've like, been no. like, we're not going to, you know, it's not going to go through this time, but we're still hoping and basically yeah. just called everyone massive pussies, literally in their, <laughs> their statement.
0: Yeah, you're right. And and we'll probably come on to the, as I said, the the, the views from Spain. We'll, we'll have a chime in on, on that and what's going on in that in a minute. But Ross, I wanted to come on to probably something that I'm guessing you would have seen, and I'm pretty sure Tom would have, and I'm guessing Lala would have probably seen it retweeted on, on Twitter by now. And and that was the, the, the Monday night football on, on Sky in the UK and the discussion that, that kind of led, because we saw this, this whole thing fall out. It came out of nowhere not not, maybe not nowhere we all knew this was coming but it kind of came out late Sunday night and it was just everywhere within 24 hours and there was quite a heavy campaign by Sky in particular and their Monday night uh, football team to to sort of go to town on on these clubs um we saw Leeds United sort of wind up Liverpool a bit by putting t-shirts in their dressing room and I did think that was somewhat ironic given the state leads were in uh what 10 15 years ago but putting that aside what what did you make of of how sky went about this because i think both john and, and josh in our group made the point that that they they kind of were at the center of the premier league revolution and this is the same sky that were trying to charge 15 quid for burnley against west brom a few months ago do you do you feel like their input Sort of Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher's discussion, and, and Sky is an entity, or you know you can lump BT Sport in and, and all the rest of them. Do you feel like they were a key element in the fan backlash and and ultimately getting this this idea postponed at least? Do you think that they had quite a big say in that? I think I think there's two ways you look at. It. I think
3: the first of all, yes, I think the the fact that so many big names in the game were willing to 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 go to bat um, for it was a good indicator of the depth of feeling. Um, but I also think it's yes, it's enormously ironic that you know Sky and BT were sta- were standing out and saying that you know money's ruining our game and we can't let them do this given that you know they're two of the ones that push the the TV deals up so high in the Premier League that so many clubs are now ben- benefiting from it and so many others are not. So we can't you know we can't forget that side of their 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 model. But yes, I think I think the fact that it was so quickly denounced by you know pundits that you would. Given their professional format, you would normally think them to be talking through a flower on on air. For them to be immediately just so aggressively against it, especially Gary Neville reacting live on commentary, there was no holding his tongue. It was an instinctual gut reaction. It was it was a fan's reaction, and I do think that helped publicise just the the depth of feeling and how quickly people were turning against it. But yeah, we can't we can't ignore the the deep irony of Sky and BT saying that there's too much money in football and this was just greed and all the rest of it because they've they've certainly had their hand in this for a number of years and they didn't really care when cardiff were turning their jerseys red to try and get into the chinese market and they weren't talking about the whole city tigers they weren't talking about that stupid leeds united badge remake that looked more like a sticker you'd get at the dentist you know they they didn't care about that at the time but you know, we, we we can't completely disregard the the hand they played in it because you know, like I say, the the fact that so many pundits were so immediately just, bang, I don't care what happens to me from you know the clubs I support or the people who employ me, it was still a bold move for some of them. And yeah, I think like, the the instant the instant TV backlash certainly I think emboldened the movement on the ground.
0: Yeah, and what did you make of the the way that the the fans? Uh, I want to get Tom's perspective on this as well in a minute, but from from a, a fan's perspective, which side of the, the fence do you sort of side on? Do you side do you sit on the side of the fence that says the fans essentially stopped this uh, and and this is what made those owners sit up and take notice? Or do you look at it as more of a everyone likes a moan? You know, every 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 fan wants to sort of once there's a movement, a lot of fans will jump onto that bandwagon. And I'm not for a minute saying it was a bad thing, so it's clearly a good thing to get this overturned. But how much of that do you feel that that fan movement actually created in, in this being stopped? How much of it do you, do you feel like got to these owners or was it ultimately just the fact that it was bad PR that, that stopped them from going through?
3: I think it's a little of column A and a little of column B. Um, clearly they 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 underestimated the the work that would need to go into to selling this. Um, but beyond that, I mean, it was made very clear very quickly by a lot of the fans that, they were renouncing their support of their clubs if they joined this. And I dare say a lot of those millionaire owners, billionaire owners, basically thought, well, we can't really do this with this kind of backlash because even if we do go through with this, we're going to be losing a hell of a lot of money in all the different, kind of, different kinds of other ways. You know, ticket sales from Anfield for, let's say, for domestic Premier League games, but also in shirt revenue and such. They, they, they knew that they were going to be threatened by this in one way or another. So I, I think it's a little from column A, a little from column A and a little from column B. Um, but I, I would honestly say that some of the backlash from the fans was, was some of the most inspiring because a lot of the time, collectively, fans don't really band together over these kinds of issues. You know, like I say, with Cardiff, with Hull, with with Leeds, um, when were, you know, Nicola Cortese was trying to phase out our stripes so that a, a red shirt was more marketable in, in China. You know, the, these things are not things that, you know, fans rally around. But as soon as it was a threat to the core value of the of the sport, which was that competition is is the key value of football, that anyone can beat anyone, that a small team can dream of being amongst the big boys. As soon as that was under threat, I think it was it was vital that the fans banded together as quickly as they did. And yeah, you know, if they'd been in the stadium, if they'd been, you know, allowed to gather outside, I think it would have been overturned a lot quicker. But um yeah, I think I think the fans had a had a major part to do with it.
0: Yeah, yeah, agreed. And and in that regard, Tom, you you said at the top of the show, as well as following non-league football, you've you've got a, a Manchester United sort of um, persuasion in terms of your your fanship. There was a, a gathering at the training ground, I believe, at Carrington today, and Oli Gonzalez. I actually had to to chat to the fans. That was, I guess, the third incident that we've seen in the UK after the Leeds fans gathered outside the ground at Ellen Road on Monday and the Chelsea fans um, had a little chat with Petr Cech on, the, on Tuesday. What what did you make of, of the situation with the Manchester United fans? Because arguably, you, you look at the these big clubs, particularly from the Premier League side of things, and I would say Manchester United are probably the biggest, really. If you, if you look at in terms of okay man city have won a lot recently and chelsea have won a lot since their oligarch money but you so i feel like manchester united for me is still one of the biggest global brands in world football for for the for the fans of united to come out and essentially do you know what a, what a marseille would do and go to the training ground and and call out who the people at, at the helm and let's not forget have essentially seen the change where good old Ed Woodward has finally left the club or is going to leave the club that's just pretty big isn't it for, for United in, in terms of their support base and and in terms of what's what's got got done what kind of what was the thought process and what what have you heard from the Man United fans in terms of what they went about today and what they've achieved as a club because they were not keen on this either were
2: they no I think um in terms of the general thoughts for United behind the the whole money-driven side of the game, Um, especially over the past few years with the Glazers, um, there's been somewhat tepid campaigns with regards to trying to shift um, people in power out of the club. Um, And I think this has now kind of brought it to the forefront. Um, But I still think that that bridge that was kind of connected between the other clubs fundamentally was the main factor as far as i could see it anyway because like you say united are a very big mouthpiece for fan bases as especially in terms of being a big brand huge fan numbers especially on social media as well whenever there's a post there's always a united fan that's willing to dig something in or to mention something so when you start seeing this this bond between especially liverpool um, which I saw with a Jordan Henderson statement, and you've got all of these United fan channels, which normally drive quite a lot of toxicity. As you guys will know, fan channels can be horrendous things sometimes. Um, but when you start seeing the the kind of the bridge between them start to form, and then they kind of funnel all of this towards um, kind of this this whole big movement, I think even though United are seen as a big um, a big fan base, I think you you can't really underestimate it's it's a combined effort from absolutely everyone um i do feel though that having gary neville on sky sports as a mouthpiece was a really big driving factor especially in terms of the united fan base because a lot of um united fans do see him as the the second coming of jesus when it comes to punditry um on television even even though he can be slightly biased i think his his approach to being very open and very honest if it wasn't I might be controversial here, but if it wasn't in Sky's best interest to allow him to say the certain things that he wanted to, he might not have been able to say it. Um, so I think it's kind of, for me anyway, it's kind of been picking between the, the lesser of two evils almost. I think Sky have obviously got very worried with what they've seen. Cause like you mentioned with the premier league and how the branding and the money is already involved as it is. Um, they've obviously seen this and, kind of got, oh God, shit's hit the fan here. And then they've allowed these pundits, um, these spokespeople like Carragher for for Liverpool to come through and voice their natural opinions where otherwise I feel they might have been slightly um, like maybe pulled to one side. Like you say, it was very off the cuff from Gary Neville's interview, um, very quick, and they, it was almost like Sky were very willing to hand him his platform and say, go for it, you know, let loose, do what you want to do. Whereas I think if it was another situation, they might have pulled him to the side had a word with him and tried to to keep it down a little bit um but no i think in terms of the the overall reaction from united fans i think yeah it's been it's been refreshing but for me the the main point again and i've said it before but has just been that that bonding between other fan bases as well um that was that was the main thing for me anyways
0: yeah, yeah, he really has come out, hasn't it? in terms, like you said, like Liverpool fans bonding with United fans, and I think Gary Neville's quote was he he would he would go and stand on the cop, and he wouldn't be hounded out for the first time in his career, which um, made me chuckle. There's um, a small element, Lana, of uh, I've got to be careful how how I address this this topic, particularly with the way the world is. But is there a is there a, a bit of a tad of I think probably the word i'm going to go with here is is xenophobia in terms of ownership and i've looked at particularly like from from my club um i've I've seen it kind of firsthand on twitter the last few days where immediately the calls were cronkey's out right now that's not new for us we you know we've we've long sort of thought that we didn't want this these people in control of our club if you will but that's kind of bled into other markets. Obviously, Liverpool are, are kind of American-owned. Well, they are American-owned, let's, let's be honest. Um, Tom mentioned the Glaciers are at United. There are other foreign ownerships. And I do get the impression that sort of, there are certain fans, particularly in the English game, that a lot of their ire is being directed at foreign ownership. Do you think there is a bit of xenophobia in that and and this whole oh well we're just trying to americanize the game and that's the reason why these plans have come out. Do you feel like that's fair or are we barking at the wrong tree and is, is it just that the fans don't want any sort of ownership that isn't what they trust? Is it is it purely about that?
1: Yes and no because if you look at the spanish clubs and the italian Not all of them are American-owned. One is Asian-owned. The other one is, you know, uh, been uh, running in the Aniele family for decades and decades and on. And in Spain, they have some sort of democracy where fans get to vote, uh, judging by what Joel said the other day. Uh, I think it's the more of fans maybe wanting to be heard more than the fact that there's American uh, owners. Uh, I mean... If you look at Germany with the 50 plus one uh, model, I think it's difficult to have that impl- implemented in the Premier League. Uh, you, you guys might you know, uh, feel free to correct me, but I just feel the whole setup and the culture in England is more different than it is in Germany. Uh, it's worked well there. Uh, and you would hope that this is the reality for clubs going forward but I just find it difficult especially with the pandemic it's difficult to sell the club and who has like for the fans to have this model you'd have you'd need to have at least a billion to be able to you know buy into it so I can sense why they feel it's a very American uh, way because the whole setup is very much like the NBA um, and how that's set up. It can be successful, but the rules are completely different there. I don't think it would have worked because in the N- NBA, if you finish last, you get the first pick of the best. Mm-hmm. While, Whilst if you win, you get you know the last pick. So it's kind of a different vibe uh, than it is in – you know, Europe. Uh, I just don't see it being successful. Maybe as I would have seen it in other leagues. I think it would have been more of a success in maybe League One than it would have been in England. It just seems too big. Uh, in, it, the Premier League seems too big for this kind of model. Maybe.
3: I would just add yeah. that. I would just add that the football fans in general will sell their soul as long as their club is the one that benefits.
1: The second yeah.
3: that it's everyone that benefits. That's when it becomes a a, a much bigger issue that, oh, all these American owners. Well, did Liverpool fans care they were American owners when they were winning the the league? Did they Uh care that they were American owned when they were trashing the Premier League and nearly went invincible? You know, I've seen Southampton fans want to be bought out by Red Bull. They're happy being Red Bull Southampton, the Red Bull Saints, if it means that we get billions and billions of pounds and we can challenge for the Champions League. You know, yeah. Yes, yes. There's, there, there is certainly an American issue with the format of this because it was a franchise. It was built and established to be like those kinds of franchises that they run in America where the big clubs are always in it and it's basically there to raise as much profit and as much money as you can. There was definitely an American aspect to it. But I would I would say that, like I say, any fan will sell their soul as long as they're the only club that benefits from it. The second it's everyone, that's when it becomes a bigger issue. And I think that was latched onto a little too vigorously with, with this particular issue.
2: Yeah, can, mm. sorry, can I just jump in as well? I think sure. the, the whole model of the Premier League over the past few years, if you put this Super League to the side, any fan, like Ross was saying, would be happy with a, a multi-billionaire coming in and spunking hundreds of millions of pounds on all these massive names. So now the fact that it's kind of, it seems a bit hypocritical from a lot of people, I think, um, to suddenly shift, to go from this whole, um, we are the Premier League, the biggest league in the world, to all of a sudden to oh hang on a minute what about everyone else um, I think that shift's been quite sudden although it's been beneficial I think it has been a very very quick shift in the other direction um, yeah. which does make you question the reasons behind it almost.
0: And are we all a bit fickle almost as as, as fans I mean like Adam's put in the chat there Newcastle let's not forget that you know, and I know a couple of Newcastle fans, and the majority of uh, of well, I say the majority of the people I know, three, but all three of them, um, two, two specifically of the three, were very much against the the Saudi takeover. The third one was kind of a little bit, you know, well, it's better than Mike Ashley, which is it's a bit, is it a bit of an ironic statement? But it is, it, I, it does kind of almost make me think, like, do we really care that much as long as our team is is performing well? I, I don't – Josh and I were, were talking about this earlier on and we were saying about the Arsenal situation. And as I said earlier on, it, it's very clear that, that our fans are, are very much out there and saying, you know, the Cronkies are all that's wrong with the club. And and I kind of just put a tweet out and said, like, would our fans only be happy if it was Nigel who owns a chippy in North London owning the club? And most of the responses I kind of got from it was was more – it's not about the money. It's it's about somebody being involved with ex-players, somebody having a foot in the community, somebody sort of caring about the club. And that makes me think, well, Man City have got that. And they got a lot of criticism for what happened in the takeover. But you can't deny how much work they've done in the community to make that club what it is. I'm not is. I'm not necessarily sure I agree with how they've gone about it in terms of where their money's come from. So they have reinvested in so it's, it, it's a really hard one isn't it it's, it's a really difficult situation to judge and just on in regard to kind of the money washing through football I'll ask you on this one Tom because you probably know better than, than us three Gary Neville did speak very well you're absolutely right about this situation but one of the things that was leveled at him was he now owns a club which is essentially Spent its way into the higher echelons of uh, of the you know the, the the middle tier, if you will, the, the sort of the league twos, the league ones. Uh, in Salford, would they have got where they've got without that Manchester United backing or those ex Manchester United players backing? Do you think they would have got anywhere near that? Uh, and you might be able to give examples of other clubs, as as Ross may be able to as well, of who've kind of spent their way up the divisions. Is there a little bit of an ironic? element to this when you're hearing people like Gary Neville say that when, when essentially the money is what has got his his club that he owns up the leagues?
2: Yeah 100% I think because um, we we came up against Salford um, a couple of seasons ago when we were in the National League and um, we crossed paths against them and I remember looking through their their team sheet um, when they'd just come up from the division below and they had it was absolutely littered with Football League players which uh, National League level is almost unheard of it's usually the teams that drop down Will maintain some of the football league players, but usually when players get locked into football league football, they want to try and stay there. So to persuade players to drop down, the only incentive for them to go on board with Salford is like the, the idea of the project, and then obviously as well the um, the idea of money behind it. I think um, they had, I think, oh, was it Luke? I think was it Luke? Was it Luke Rooney? Oh, I can't remember his first name now. They had a a lad who literally dropped down a striker all the way from League One. And he was on thousands of pounds a week, which for that level is absolutely unheard of. Normally, I think the average wage at Maidstone you're looking at about four hundred pounds a week, and that's for like a that's for a very very solid player. Um, so <laughs> when he does speak about this whole idea of the money side of it, and then at the same time he's kind of pumping money into a project to see his own benefit, his own his own kind of project benefit from it. Yeah, it did seem a bit did seem a bit hypocritical as far as I'm concerned anyways.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So are getting some really good stuff in the, the live chat as well, which I, I want to address in a minute, but just before I do, um, I want to, <laughs> I want to unleash the inner Lana um, on this conversation because I have a feeling she might have some views on this. When we talk about transfers and we talk about statuses and just saying there to Tom about, you know, a club essentially buying its way to success. Um, it's a real shame that, that Joel couldn't make it tonight because I, I want to talk about a certain club called Real Madrid and uh, and a certain president called Florentino Perez. Who he's either had a couple of too many whiskies in the past twenty four hours or he's just an absolute clown. And I think probably a bit of a bit of both might be fair. He's essentially crying that his precious Real Madrid can't go out and buy the Kylian Mbappes and the Erling Braut Haaland's of this world because quite they don't have enough money um i guess the two questions i'd ask you is what's your opinion of 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 real madrid and i suppose we do have to say barcelona as well because essentially both clubs are skint but they're living off of interest-free loans the economy the state whatever it is sponsorship deals so that'd be my first question and my second question to you would be is it important for clubs like Real Madrid? Because don't forget, they didn't make a signing last summer and they still might win La Liga, maybe even the Champions League this year. Is it all about status to owners like Perez, do you think?
1: I despise both clubs, really do. I love some of the players that play for them. Uh, but God, I despise Barcelona with every fibre in my body. When I say I hope they get relegated and then just go into, you know, whatever it is, I genuinely hope for that. Do you know how many of my players they've destroyed in the process of being bigger than a club? Well, screw you guys. The same for Madrid, although they have Benzema, but Madrid has always been known to be this, you know, big, big club that makes huge signings. You know, the Los Galacticos eras, we all remember that. You know, with the shiny magazine, with the top, the newest signings on the front and you s- almost wanted your club to do the same, but then you were like, Hmm, do I want them to, you know, go bankrupt or let's just buy lesser flashier players. But I was surprised they didn't sign anyone last year, uh, which is why I think because of the talks with uh, Mbappe's contract extension is going really, really slow and not in the direction PSG want. I feel that he might leave It's just on how are they going to afford it? Because Peter can literally demand whatever they want because he's worth it and he's that good. This is a man who's a boy, basically, who's going to dominate world football for the next 10, 12, 13, 14 years. Uh, Him and, you know, uh, Holan as well. So how much money are they worth, especially during this pandemic as well? So... I don't know. It just seems like it's a tough one. Uh, He wants to go. He said that he wants to play uh, for Zidane. Uh, So it's about how many players are Madrid going to offer in return and which players does PSG actually want because it's a very aging squad as well. And they're not so heavily focused on academy players as other clubs are. Uh, And especially for Barcelona, who was known to have the best academy in the world, when's the last time they had a really good player coming out of their academy who's really, you know, put himself on the map. So for two clubs who are absolute, you know, on the verge of bankrupt, they do talk a big game. It just depends on, you know, if they can walk the talk. I, for once, hope they get relegated. So. (laughs)
0: <laughs> what did you what did you make of these these comments from from florentina pros i mean uh and in our chat you know he's desperate it, it's it's a financial hell mary that's kind of how i how i got it it's almost like he was almost begging it of teams like going oh you know well they haven't really left almost like like that guy who sort of says that when he gets dumped he goes well she didn't really dump me she, she just wanted space it's like yeah but We're it's on the a same break thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you still can't go off and, and, and do things while you're still th- together. You have to wait till it's officially off before you can. And it and it's it's almost like he is kind of just hanging in there, isn't it? Like desperately trying to get other clubs to come and play with him. It, it, uh, his comments are just it, it's it is very dinosaur, isn't it? I think John Johnson who But you
1: know, he genuinely seemed so about serious about what he was saying. Like, yeah he genuinely believed it. And yeah, I was like, yeah and the fa- the worrying part is that it, there's so many who follow what he says that there's mm. actually i've seen a lot of barcelona real madrid fans be like but well we're the elite why shouldn't we be in our own league being the best so mm. it's about some people actually are behind this and really wants this and i'm like what's wrong with you people
0: yeah, I think it's a perfectly way of putting it. What about bringing it back home, Russ, in terms of the English game? Because obviously, you know, three of us are, are in the UK and, and probably a lot of our our listenership will be, be looking at leagues specifically like the Premier League. Where does it leave the the quote-unquote big six of the Premier League, which for the record, even as an Arsenal fan, we have no business being in that conversation other than the fact we're one of London's bigger clubs. Um, and for me, <laughs> Spurs, I mean, you know, we don't really need to go there, do we? But I don't think either Arsenal or Spurs on current format should have been anywhere near that competition. But does this change, do you think, the relationship amongst, not not just the the rivalries of the the clubs below, but we've seen, we've seen like Wolves kind of outwardly mock the league with their tweets. We saw the same with Leeds. Uh, you know the Merseyside Reds sort of tweeting that. Does this also maybe create a bit of a siege mentality amongst the fan bases? Do you think, like, like you as as a Saints fan, like, will you look at this and think it'll be a little bit extra if Southampton can get points off the big boys and and sort of go, actually, we're still here? Do you think it'll give them that bit of bit of an urge to kick on from here and prove points? <laughs> It's difficult
3: to say because I think a lot of the time when I was talking about this at the start of the week with either you know the the group chat that we've got going or if I was talking to it with friends or my girlfriend or whoever it was, um, I was using Arsenal, Man United, Chelsea, Liverpool. You know the names of the clubs are shorthand really for the owners um, because it's not the 150 year history of Arsenal that decided they wanted to be in a Super League. It was Stan Kroenke who wants to make his money back on on a on a project that is surely going to if it hasn't already make him lose a lot of money. You know, it's it was it was never whenever I say that, you know, Arsenal, Barcelona, Real Madrid, I'm not really talking about the clubs, I'm talking about the 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 billionaire elector that that owned them. So there's a part of me that that would agree that that some fans maybe won't be able to split that divide and we'll see, you know, Abramovich and Chelsea as one thing, and we'll see Kroenke and Arsenal as one thing and then want to, to try and strike back. When when crowds return, I dare say there will be a few banners and a few chants, and there'll be uh, there'll be some some verbal shtick within the stadium. But I mean, as a as a Slantin fan, I don't I don't look at these clubs any differently. I just look at the prick owners differently, you know, because they're the ones that bought into this sport, a sport that has allowed them to make money, that's allowed them, you know, all of the opportunities they've been given, and basically said we don't care about the core principles of this sport. So I I'm, I'm on the I'm. On the fence with that, really, because I, I don't look at Arsenal as a bigger scalp now that they were part of that Super League. I, we, we played Tottenham last night. I didn't look at them as a as a bigger scalp because you know Daniel Levy had tried to get them into this. It was just another game for me. But as soon as I heard that Daniel Levy was in the crowd, I was like, well, I damn wish there was fifty thousand people in that stadium to <laughs> boo and throw cups of piss at him. But you know, it, it can't happen at the moment. So. I, I think I think it's a I think it's a mixed bag. There, there will be some fans that will conflate the owner with the club and merge those values together. But for me, I, I think my my hatred. If I was in the stadium, I'd be turning around to the to the owners and booing them rather than booing the players on the pitch.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that, that's that's what well put. And and in terms of like the, the where we are right now, we we look at the English game in particular and we say, okay, so nothing's really gonna to happen to these big six who all sort of grovel back in and, and seemingly will stay as part of the Premier League. What do you think about the the sort of the future moving forward? I mean we had a um, a question which I'll I'll bring in here now from, from Julian when he said about there's a lot of talk going around now that both Celtic and Rangers, that old argument has come back up, you know, shall we invite them into the, the Premier League and and whatnot. Do you feel like from the English game uh, and I'll, I'll probably go to Tom in a minute about the lower league, but from a Premier League specifically point of view here, do you feel like this is as, as good a time as any for the Premier League owners and the, and the hierarchy of the Premier League to actually look at their own league and go, do you know what? This is as good a time as any to make some changes before fans get in. And I talk about things like ticket prices, merchandise costs, and all that goes with it, you know, fan the fan experience, if you will. And does that include? potentially reforming this league making it a larger or smaller league inviting Celtic and Rangers in that kind of thing is this as good a time as any to not throw the baby up with the bathwater but kind of rebuild a little bit and go okay we this is this is what it came to we've avoided this so now we need to look at our own league and reform it slightly
3: yeah, I would say the 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 idea of bringing Celtic and Rangers in is is a bit of a misnomer. I think that's I think that's the wrong way to to, to change football in the UK. Um, I've never thought that the idea of Celtic and Rangers in the Premier League was a good idea. Do they stay? Do they get relegated? Do other Scottish teams have the opportunity to come up? Do do fans feel the same about having Aberdeen and Inverness in it as they do Celtic and Rangers? Because if Celtic and Rangers both go down, do we bring up two Scottish teams or are they? given 23 years of exclusive rights to join the English League, I've always thought it was a bad idea, unless you're going to open the door to all of the Scottish teams. And then I think it falls apart immediately because you ask a Liverpool fan, do you want to play Inverness every week? And their immediate answer will be no. So I I don't know. I I don't know that that's the right. I don't know. That's the right move. Um, The great irony of all of this, though, is that I think although the big clubs were trying to change this in their favour and try and change football so that they could monopolise it, I think the great irony is it will change football, but I think it will change football in a completely different way, especially in this country, because I think now is the time to be talking about is 50 plus one a viable option in the UK. I think that now is the time to set up an independent regulator. I think now is the time to see if we can find a way to not pull the money out of football, but spread it around more. Because let's not forget that the Super League wasn't dreamed up in a week. The Super League has been born out of years of millionaire owners trying to do these things with clubs. I mentioned earlier Cardiff, Leeds, Southampton, you know, you can mention so many clubs where owners have come in and try to change it in a way to maximise their profit in new markets or suck the soul out of that club and out of the 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 fabric of football in general. I think now is the time to really and realistically look at reforms in English football. I think something will be done. My gut is that it will end up being an independent regulator, which I think would be enormously helpful. But I think the FA also need to look at their fit and proper persons tests, which we've been talking about for years, especially in the EFL, are just not up to snuff. But now is the perfect time to look at it, and I think the great irony of all of this is that the big six were trying to change the game in their favour, and they may find that in a couple of months' time it will be turning against them.
0: Yeah, yeah, agreed. And, and on that similar line, Tom, if I said to you the situations with um, the, the, the the first name that jumps to mind when you talk about like the lower leagues and 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 what is now essentially they are a non-league club, what happened to? Berry, for example, and clubs that are facing extinction. Essentially, you know, the club that they once were, um just completely going out. Is it? Is it Macclesfield the other the other side that that went bust or are in?
2: Yeah, they literally. Yeah, they. No, that was them. They literally just went bang uh, just before. When was it? I think it was September twenty twenty. I think literally just before the season was about to get started again. Yeah, no, they, that's it, they that's went the down under that, as well.
0: Is that the club that Robbie Savage has got involved with now to bring them essentially bring them back as a phoenix club?
2: Yeah, I believe so. So they're starting. I think they're starting right back at the bottom again in like the district yeah. leagues and stuff, and then they're going to have to work their way back up again. Yeah.
0: So from their perspective, and a club a club of that perspective, and indeed from from a club like Maidstone that, that you follow, is is a uh, when you step a, when they step away from this and, and have their say on this whole Super League and, and money washing and everything in football, is there a bigger picture that we're all missing here? And it's not actually all about the Super League and the clubs breaking away, but more the fact that clubs are going extinct. And yet what we've done for the past 72 hours is talk about, you know, well, we don't want these big clubs breaking away. Surely it should be more about where's this money going? Lana mentioned that, you know, Barcelona and Real Madrid are essentially... You know, the, if they were in the lower leagues of the, of the UK, they would have gone bust by now because they're not established household names. There's a bigger picture here, isn't there? When you look at the the overall love of the game and clubs are going out of ex- going into extinction, that's that's got to be high up on the agenda here, hasn't it? In terms of money that's filtering down, and if we are going to reform both European and and domestic leagues, surely they have to look at at getting this money down to the lower leagues, which we've said for years, but. I want to get your perspective on that, obviously having you on for the first time. that Where do you feel the ge- the game needs to go to support clubs of of Maidstone size and indeed the Berries and the Macclesfields who've, who've gone out of our business? Because not everyone is going to have a Robbie Savage to back them, are they?
2: Yeah, exactly. I think if you've been around the non-league scene, it's kind of something that we as fans have been kind of banging the drum for a while, but because of the lack of the size and the following—it's never really something that's really been focused on until now. I think now is the best time, really, for it to have a, a spotlight um, shined onto it for uh, um, for all of us like lower league teams. I think when you mentioned about the like reforming the model of the leagues, I don't really think it's the the whole model of the league that needs reforming. I think it's the the micro things within it, like you say about the money filtering down that needs that needs changing and needs looking at. Um, for example, when, when everyone was going through the furlough scheme in non-league, uh, there was a, I don't know if you guys know, there was a, a lottery fund that was assigned to the, the national league of around 10 million pounds. It was supposed to be. Um, and in national league, you, I'm sure as an Arsenal fan will know the affiliation between Arsenal and Boreham Wood, I believe it is. Um, yeah. and when they allocated the money to the certain teams, it was so badly distributed like horrendously done so to put it into perspective Maidstone for non-league at the moment without sounding too vain but our following for non-league is quite big so we'll average I know it's small numbers but 2,000 fans per game for that level is massive so when the fans go away that problem is exacerbated for teams who have quite a quite a substantial following for that level whereas if you look at the flip side with Bore and Wood they were having about 800 fans um, a game, roughly, there or thereabouts. But when they distributed the funds, they didn't distribute them based on how much income the clubs were currently generating based on fans in the stadium. So you ended up with teams like Boreham Wood getting bigger grants out of this £10 million pot than other teams were who generate more money as a club. Um, and that's where you really started to see some issues financially with a lot of clubs, like you mentioned um with Macclesfield, when they went bang, eventually um, Dover as well, or another team um, that have been—they've been deducted twelve points for the start of next season. They've been kind of chopped this because they couldn't—they couldn't play the games because where they're playing, uh, paying their players, they couldn't physically afford to pay them, and they tried to put a system in place where it was a bit ludicrous, really. They—they they tried to get teams to continue playing while furloughing the current players that they had, and just tried to get loads of free players that were willing to play on loan for no fees. And you just ended up with this enormous mess um, at the non-league level. And I think, like you mentioned, where a lot of the, the stuff below... I know from a, uh, a National League perspective, it's, <laughs> it's the National League and then you hit the Football League. So for us, the Football League is like... It, it still gets some money, but compared to what the National League gets for us, um, it's chalk and cheese when that step up into Football League is so big. Um, whereas now, I think you're going to start seeing more eyes opening to how this money gets distributed like you mentioned um about uh, external people getting involved to make sure that this doesn't happen going forwards and to try and make sure that the the pyramid that is currently in place at the moment sees a lot more love at the bottom of it than it does at the top because from our perspective looking up it's a long old way to any any sort of financial um stability that you get from the Premier League, especially even the jump from just the Championship to the Premier League. If you jump from, like Ross will know, that jump from Championship to Premier League, if you can stay in the Premier League for a few seasons, uh, financially, you're sorted for quite a considerable amount of time if you're you're shrewd with what you spend. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be really interesting going forwards to see um, how exactly things change. I don't want to get too carried away and think that all of a sudden all of us non-league teams are going to start getting a lot of love. I'm not going to be too naive in that and assume that's going to happen, but it's definitely something that I'm hoping, at least now, this can be a catalyst to start seeing a bit more change.
0: Yeah, I think more and more people are starting to go and see their local club because they're just realising that it's the experience. I think that's what people have missed the most during this this pandemic time. It's the experience of, of enjoying football with their friends and the social element not actually necessarily the club they support that they can just watch on the telly for a fiver. Actually, it's about going out, meeting friends, catching up and having that social interaction, which they can do at non-league level for half the price. When it's like 300 quid a game to go to West Ham, for example, or 20 quid to go up the road to your local club, which one are you going to choose? And I want to ask you, Lana, as well about, as we sort of look towards the future, because we, we do have to... Kind of look at this and say, well, everything that's gone on. Um, we'll, we'll touch on a point that was brought up in the chat in a minute about the fact that this is probably inevitably, inevitably going to come up again. But something that has come out of this whole Super League debate and and everything that's gone with it is some, and uh, not many, has to be said, but some players have come out and made statements we we've seen a few just make simple statements we saw quite a big drive from Jordan Henderson we mentioned earlier on about getting the captains together but one tweet that really caught my eye was actually one that was posted only an hour ago Um, and this was from Manchester City's Ilkay Gundogan he state he says with all the Super League stuff that's going on can we please speak about the new Champions League format Uh, more and more and more games is no one thinking about the players the new new ucl format is just a lesser of two evils in comparison to the super league so the ucl format right now works great and that's why it's the most popular competition in the world for us players and the fans now don't get me wrong this is very much a you know bigger club conversation if you will when you talk about european competition but it, it is kind of a It is something that we need to think about, isn't it? In terms of whether we are talking about non-league level um, and and small clubs in in whatever division or league you follow, but also all the way up to these Champions League players, you do have to think about the players' perspective. It's not just about the fans, is it? You know, we we haven't heard a lot from the players. How do you, how do you sort of feel like some of these players will be feeling now? And do you you think this might actually have a knock-on effect? in terms of what we see in the future, whether it be contracts, transfer fees, some of these players are, are really coming out now and, and actually starting to say, what about us?
1: Yeah, I mean, we noticed that with the way, I mean, just look at Bellerin with his tweet, um, and the fact that people seem to forget the main uh, component in the game, it's actually the players, maybe even the managers to some extent, but mostly the players, and, um, I feel that I think it was Tony Cruz who mentioned it a few years ago that it would have been nice to have a players' union so we can feel that we're being heard. Uh, because fans have that opportunity through, you know, shareholder meetings and stuff like that. But players really are limited because you're basically told shut up and play football. You get paid a disgusting amount of money every week. You shouldn't complain. But we've seen in the past how players are run to into the ground because of the amount of games being played. Look at Jack Wilshere, look at, you know, Smith-Rowe now. Uh, just to mention a few. And I think that's why also in League One, they're about to remove one of the cups because there's just too much uh, on, you know, on the physical aspect of the game for the players. Especially also, you know, with international tournaments, you know, with the Euros, the World Cup, Africa Cup of Nations, you name it. Uh, and the fact that they also have to have a six-week preseason in between all that. When do they have the time to rest? Just look at this summer. It's going to be a very uh, uh, tight uh, schedule because you have the under-21s that started, that last to June. Then you have the Euro starting as well. You have the Africa cup of nations, you have the Asia cup of nations. You have, I think it's also, um, Copa America as well. So these players are all over the place. And when do they have time to rest and then go back to preseason? Uh, so we need to think more and more about them, uh, because we see with the fact that they just break so easily with this silly challenge, uh, so I, I totally agree with him. I hate the guy because he supports terrorists, but he makes a fair point in terms of players need to be more looked out for. We need to have people advocating for them. And right now it just feels like no one is. And that's why also Tony Cruz mentioned that we need, maybe we need to have a players union. We need someone to protect our well-being mentally, you know, physically, and not just our paychecks because that's the agent's job. Uh, so maybe that's something that can change in the future as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's something that probably needs to change. Where, where do you sit on that, Ross, in terms of the won't someone just think of the players' debate? I mean, there, there is always that age old argument, isn't there? and and the one that always comes up in particularly in 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 Britain or, or in England specifically. From anybody who's a non football fan, the first thing that will always get brought up is well, what about the nurses? What about the doctors? What about the people who, you know, and footballers do get a bit of stick for the amount of money they earn. And the first thing I always come back to that and say is well, why are we not attacking movie stars? You know, why are we not attacking, you know, celebrity golfers or celebrity basketball players? Or, you know, this isn't the only sport in which people have played it paid obscene amounts of money. And, and I'd always say, if I'm a doctor or a nurse and I'm offered the sort of money that footballers are offered, I'm not going to turn that down. It's not the footballer. It's not the, the player's fault that there's so much money in the game. Do you, do you feel like this is sort of a time where we do have to think about the player welfare and, and in a, in a summer where a lot of clubs are maybe not going to be able to go out and afford to buy 10, 15 players like they would normally do. And I, I talk all the way through the Academy, not just first team we're going to have to manage our players that we have now aren't we and especially when we're not potentially selling or buying this summer
3: yeah i mean um the the argument of you know why aren't nurses and doctors being paid fifty thousand a week the the hollow and awful answer is that a nurse isn't commercially viable that's why football <laughs> players are paid disgusting amounts of money it's because they can also sell boot advertisements and you know fifa advertisements and all the rest of it you know you can't you can't commercialize a nurse unfortunately that's why they get paid the money they do but you know would I give them 50,000 a week yeah I would you know of course I would you know anyone who does the hardest work for for the, for a nation and does the most important what jobs in a nation deserve the best pay but at the end of the day that's not where the money is so unfortunately that argument has, has never stood has never stood up for me um but in terms of in terms of managing footballers yeah I mean it's it's a very lazy argument to just say well they get paid millions so screw them they need to just keep running and I, I've jogged It doesn't matter how much I get paid. Eventually, I'm going to tire. I'm going to fall over. I'm going to collapse. You know, it doesn't it doesn't matter how much I'm being paid to do it. There's a limit to the human there's a limit to the human body. I don't care if they train every single day. They're still going to run out of steam eventually. You know, Southampton play a very high-paced pressing game, and a lot of Southampton fans just think, well, they get paid fifty thousand a week. Why can't they do it for ninety minutes? You try pressing ninety minutes in a football game. You know, it's no it's no wonder that Danny Ings keeps doing his hamstring, and that some of our youth players that aren't acclimatized to it are constantly doing muscle injuries. It's because this is a high pressure, and uh, you know, as the game develops and we we understand the human body even more, they're trying all new techniques to try and get these players running faster and for longer, and all the rest of it. It's not sustainable, you know. There's there's always a limit to the human body. It doesn't matter how well you train it. So unfortunately, yeah, you know, it, it would be great if we could if we could just say, well, they earn lots of money, so run for ninety minutes three times a week. But it, it's just it, that's not how it works, unfortunately. And yes you know the champions league is not a format that i i really that i really care about too much as a southampton fan I've, football has never just been about big clubs being big clubs and playing each other for me you know you know um close to the bone the sweeter is the meat i think the phrase goes you know that's why i've always loved lower league football because it's close to the bone because you see real fans in the stands that believe that their club can do anything on that given day. And that's, that's what I love about football. I don't care about Arsenal versus Real Madrid. I don't care about Bayern Munich versus Liverpool. These big games don't appeal to me. It's, it's the smaller games that have always appealed to me. So, you know, it's the way it goes. You know, there, there will always be that lazy argument in football, but at the end of the day, these are still human beings. And, they need to be protected, especially when the Champions League is pushing them further, when you know international tournaments are pushing them further. Personally, I would have cancelled the Euros this year. I said it's a shame, but we've got to chalk it off. You know, th- th- Things are happening. We can't expect the players to keep running and running and running and running. But it's, it's the way the world works, unfortunately. There's too much money tied up in it, and they're going to be forced to go again. But in terms of reforming the Champions League to kind of lessen the schedule, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. But they're not going to cut the Champions League down to... 24 teams they're going to keep going and keep going they're already trying to add more clubs to the world cup they'll keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing because there's just more money in it
0: yeah yeah completely agree with that and and in terms of the the fan perspective tom um before we we uh, take a couple of, of questions from the chat which so if you've got any questions for us uh, chuck them in because we'll, we'll finish the show with those but from a perspective uh, from your perspective tom in terms of the um how can i put this the, with what's gone on stepping away from the, uh, the the Super League style of things, the other big thing that has happened, obviously, to football has been the COVID crisis, which has obviously affected far more than football. You shouldn't ever forget that. But it has massively affected football at, at all levels. And one, one of the things that one of the few things I actually enjoyed football-wise was during the pandemic was the show that BT Sport did I believe um on oh crikey now see I've I've set myself up here so I can't remember the club it was um one of the lower league clubs I'm gonna have to look this up but they basically followed the club when the pandemic hit and they kind of went through the story of 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 how things changed at the club and how the setup went and how not having fans affected them and everything like that what What was it for you that makes you rather go and enjoy the experience of of Maidstone over, for example, saving that extra bit of money and going to a Man United game? Is there there a real difference for you? Is there something that that draws you to the, the grassroots game? above anything else i say grassroots that's a bit harsh but the lower league (laughs) end is is that is that what sort of drives you on Uh, and i think it was in newport i think it might be newport that documentary is on i'll look Um, that up while you answer that
2: (laughs) yeah no i if if that is on newport i haven't actually heard that one there was one um that i did see um quite recently actually on youtube um and i'd suggest anyone to go and watch it it's um a documentary kind of based around a dorking wanderers um, and the YouTube channel I think it was called a bunch of amateurs, and they kind of give you uh, a behind-the-scenes look. And as well, they started filming that um, while the whole crisis was kicking in. Um, and it's for anyone who's even remotely interested in just having a look, especially. Dre- I love like dressing room talk and tactics and that kind of thing, and it's a really good insight into even just the basic level of football. Um, but it's a really good eye opener into non-league football. Um, but in terms of yeah, non-league. It's it's weird when if you've not been to a non-league game like I hadn't for a while uh, I only went to my first non-league game because a mate of mine used to support Maidstone um years ago before they they first went bust um and then they were in the football league just about and then they went under and then came back and he suggested going to going towards a game um, I just I thought I didn't really think much of it because I, I was kind of in the the headspace of it's just going to be dreadful. Like I think there's a a common misconception that even at national level it's like going to be mm-hmm. twenty two players not having a clue what's going on, own goals left, right, and centre. Um, and it's it's far from it. And I think the the experience that you get from non league it's it's difficult to to paint a picture of it. Really, it's I think where you guys touched on almost like the the dehuman, uh, dehumanising of players when you see them on the telly and you expect them to pump all these games out week in, week out, whereas at a non-league level, especially when you're by the pitch, um, even if it's in a stadium at non-league level, you're still pretty close to the players and you'll see at that level a lot of the players are very interactive with fans. Um, even after the game, they'll sit in like a, a local lounge or a pub and chat to the uh, the fans and there's this real this real closeness that you get from non-league football with both fans, both players and even at like the board level, they're very... Um, Interaction-based and trying to build that bond, especially at Maidstone, um, between the board and the fans. Um, there's that real value there, and I don't know. There's just there's something weird about going to a non-league stadium where you go in there and it's it's absolutely horrific. Like the the grounds not great, the burgers are pretty rubbish as well. But from the moment the whistle goes at the beginning to all the way through, the passion is just undeniable compared to anything that I've experienced. I've been, I think. In terms of, like I say, the quality of football isn't there, but every player on that pitch, because a lot of the players as well are making a living from it, so they still have to give it their all from start to finish. They'll have other jobs going on. So as far as they're concerned, if they can play well and get a potential Football League contract for them, that's that's huge. So you always get that undenying um, effort and work rate from players. And if a player's being like very lethargic and not really giving it their all, odds are they'll get an absolute earful from a couple of fans that are like no more than two metres away from them. Um yeah. I think so. That that closeness on the pitch, I think you guys would have noticed it as well. With um, like Arsenal and Highbury and the move away, when you when you're that close to the pitch, the the atmosphere is just very very different. I know when West Ham moved their stadium, there was that that big question mark over what the atmosphere is going to be like because they've got a massive old running track around the side of it. Um, and at non-league level, there's just yeah, it's just something that you can't really pinpoint. But I with all this that's kicking off and a lot of people saying they they can't be asked with their football team like i I urge anyone literally just go on google look at what your local non-league football team is um ideally not a Sunday league because it is slightly different. The, the golf in quality is still quite is quite big, although a lot of people might not think it. But when you go to these games and you see them and you experience them, and even if you just chat with one of the local fellas who's absolutely pissed out of his brain, but the passion that he has for a club that has 300 fans, average attendance, you you can't put a price on it. Um, and for me, ever, I say, ever since I started, I just fell in love with non-league football like from the get-go. Um, and that having that bond and that closeness, and feel like feeling like you're a, a small cog in something that, like Ross was saying, could be in the bigger scheme of things, could prove you could go on and get promoted. And obviously, everyone has that that dream of seeing their team get promoted. But have, feeling like you're part of a system and a cog of something, uh, it feels quite special. Because when I say I have followed United for a long time, but I wouldn't really feel that connection to the club. Like I think, for example, people are saying if United go down. Um, it would be horrific for a lot of their fans, and especially those people that go. For me, as as much as I've followed United, and I love everything about the club, it would be completely different if United went bust tomorrow, and if Maidstone went bust tomorrow, because that, that link and that that bond that you build with a local club, um, even at say a very low level, is just is something that's very very incomparable for me anyway as a as an as a non league fan.
0: Yeah. Yeah well said and you certainly don't get rivers of piss down the turnstiles at Old Trafford like you exactly. would at your local league clubs. So, oh, know, I've, got, I've got many
2: a story of what I've seen at non-league football some of it's horrific but yeah <laughs> yeah I'm too right. the,
0: the, um, the club the club by the way it wasn't you put it's Harrogate Town um I think the documentary is called Proud to be Town um if you want to look it up it, it was it was really good really really good their their manager uh, um, whose name also escapes me. Oh, I'm doing really well tonight, aren't I? Um, he he was really he came across really well in in the documentary. Uh, I'm going to have to look up his name now because that's going to bug me. But yeah, he he comes across very well. And there's a lot. Simon Weaver is the, the chap's name, and the some of the players. I think one of the players loses his I think it's his grandfather. And there's quite an emotional story about about how he sort of how the club rallied around him and got him through this. And and the whole club is. Put under COVID restrictions and it documents how the club changes and how the players adapted to it. It's really fascinating. It's a really good watch if you, if you haven't seen it. Um, yeah. Right. For the, just for the, for the last 10 minutes or so, just, just going to take a, a couple of questions. Um, ideally, what we're looking for, boys and girls, in, in the chat boxes is, is uh, kind of just, just questions. Um, I, I did notice... Uh, our friend Jimmy um, chucked one in for Lana about Rudy Garcia. As much as I'm sure Lana would love to answer that one, that's probably for more of our um, our regular pod. We, we want to sort of cover more about what's going on in the world as we, as we speak um, for now. So um, I'll, I'll just ask the first question um, just to, to kick it off. As I say, if you've got any questions about what's going on now, then, then pop them in the chat. But I want to quickly ask, ask Ross a quick question and I want to ask Lana a quick question. Um, Ross, well, so you can go into as much or as little detail as you want here, but um, because you haven't been on the pod for a little while and stuff, and, and I was keen to, to get you involved, and you were very honest with us and, and you were very straightforward and just said, you know, I just kind of lost a bit of love for football. Was was that because of kind of what, we, what we've all been through as a, a human race, if you will, from COVID, or did it stem a bit deeper than that for you? Or is it just simply a case of like with us all, sometimes in life, you just kind of move on from things and... You know, it doesn't change the fact you love your club. It doesn't change the fact you look out for the results. But was there was there any one thing that, that just made you go, "I'm just not digging this at the moment"?
3: Yeah, I trace it. I trace it back to the day that Neymar went to PSG. Um, what was it like? Quarter of a million? <laughs> yeah. No, quarter million. Quarter of yeah. a billion was it? Quarter of a billion pound. Billion, yeah. That was that was the day where I sat down and went, "This ain't the football that I fell in love with." You know, I I completely agree with what Tom was saying that the lower down the leagues you go. The more passionate you feel about what you're watching, the more invested you feel in what you're watching, because everyone used to say that, you know, there's that, that, still a running gag that if you watch like the the Monday night football on Sky, the Burnley versus Crystal Palace is not blockbuster. You know, why is this the Monday night football? Why is this Super Sunday when it's Burnley Crystal Palace? I don't care. You know, I, I don't. I don't care if it's Burnley, Crystal Palace. I saw a lot of Liverpool fans being quite condescending on Twitter. I don't want to say this is exclusively Liverpool fans. I'm sure there were fans from all clubs involved in the Super League that were like this. But they were saying, "Well, I'm glad we're going because I don't want to be left behind with Burnley and Crystal Palace and Southampton and blah, blah, blah." And I'm like, "That's that, that, that is not the attitude to have." You know, the, the elitism in football is what really started to turn my turn my stomach. The first moment was was when Neymar moved, and the sheer amount of money that was spent just turn my stomach and go, this is this is where I'm, it's getting too much for me. It's, it feels like I'm disconnecting from this. But the, the more and more you pay attention to the elitism in football, the more and more you pay attention to the big six clubs that that play Southampton on the weekend and go, oh, that's an easy three points. And they go to Crystal Palace and go, oh, that's an easy three points. And they get livid when the, the opposition dare to play football back or dare to try and keep a clean sheet in whatever fashion they need to. Burnley are not going to Manchester City and opening up the game. Be suicide. Of course, they play with you know the, the the proverbial bus in front of their goal. You know, it's it's just the way it is. And the the audacity of of big six big six club fans to be saying that you know these clubs just have to turn up, roll over, and get beaten. The elitism in football is what really started to put me off after after I kind of spotted it with the Neymar move. That was when I kind of really started to feel disconnected with it. And that's where I kind of shied away and went back into the lower leagues. And I started following more championship sides and more League One and League Two. But after a while, it was just, you know, I'm still a St. Anthony fan. I still watch all their games at the time. And it was just, I couldn't get it. I couldn't escape that that sheer level of just of, of elitism. It's the only what I've got for it. It's just constantly being battered over the head that your club means nothing. You turn up, you get beaten and you move on. You know, people always make a big song and dance about being in the Premier League. Well, what have I got as a Southampton fan to look forward to in the Premier League? You know, I'm not going up because there is no up. I'm not winning the league. I'm not getting into Europe. I'm not going down unless we have a bad season. And going down is not a, you know, getting relegated is not a fun experience. So why would I look forward to a relegation fight? What have I got outside of a cup run? And cup runs come around, what, every once, every five seasons? We were very lucky to get to the semi-final of the FA Cup this year. You know, what, what have I got as a Premier League fan to care about? There are times where I just think, man, you know, when I felt most connected to my club, when we were League One, when we were beating people left, right and centre, when every game was a fight, when every game was a scrap and we beat the opposition because we were better than them, because we had the quality, because we played better. It wasn't because our squad was built with 50 million pound strikers. This is where it really just started to, to pile up on me. And I just felt so battered. By the elitism, it didn't help that Powell was our manager at the time. It didn't help that we were playing crab football and it was boring as all hell. It didn't help that we then replaced him with Pellegrino, who didn't know his arse from his elbow. It didn't. It didn't help that we were really, really bad, and didn't help that we then replaced him with Mark Hughes, who was a pub manager. These things all contributed, but I've I've started to turn the corner a little bit because what I started doing was just listening to Stampton games on the radio and just listening to like the local coverage because that's where I felt more connected to my club again. That's where I went, I don't care what Sky think about Southampton. I don't care what the people on Twitter think about Southampton. I care about what the people in Southampton care about Southampton. And yeah, you get idiot opinions when you listen to local radio. Of course you do. But at the end of the day, that feels, it It, it just feels real to me when I listen to local coverage. And then when I watch it on Sky, it feels so hollow. And uh, It's another one of the, well, Arsenal should rock up here and they should win 4-0. Well, great, but we're still... You know, there's still 11 Southampton players out there. And when they beat them, it's like, oh my God, Southampton have just beaten Arsenal. Of course they did. Of course they did. They had the opportunity from kickoff, but they just can't, they can't get their heads around it. And the elitism, the condescending attitude of pundits and fans, it was, it was far too much, far, far too much for me. And I just had to back away from it. But if you're asking for the instigating moment, the moment that I went, you know what, maybe football's getting too much for me. It was definitely the Neymar thing. When it was that much money, I went, you know what? I can't, this is, this feels like it's getting too out of, uh, too
0: out of touch for me now. Yeah. So can I just I jump in on that actually,
2: that. Ross? i got, got, got a random, fact. I actually, um, I don't know if you guys saw it on Twitter. This was a while ago, but me and a mate, we actually managed to get tickets to that game completely out of the blue. We just decided we wanted to go and explore a bit more European football. Um, and we actually, we bought the tickets and then we saw that they were playing, um, I think it was Toulouse. I think the first game, Neymar's game, um, where yep. Verratti got sent off, if I recall. Yeah. And, I remember going to that game, and I know obviously when you when you see it on the screen and you see it um, all over the news, and you think, "Oh God, it's another big name going for a stupid amount of money." But in terms of atmosphere, we we kind of wanted to experience like what it was around Europe, so we decided we'll, we'll go PSG. Will be our first trip, um, so we went straight there. And I've got to give it to the fans in that stadium. I've I've not been in a stadium with an atmosphere like that ever. Normally, when you when you expect to see a big game with a big club, and I know a lot of, uh, like especially United now as well, they get they get bantered quite a lot for having a, a library at Old Trafford. Um, but when we went to that PSG game, the atmosphere from um, the, all the all the fans from both teams was just unreal. And even though, say, PSG has kind of become uh, like a staple for big money spending, you can tell that those fans, especially that have been there from day dot when they weren't as big as they are. Of like they cherished that moment so so much, and the atmosphere in that stadium was just, I say, um, unbelievable. That was the perfect, the perfect view for me in terms of what I what I would like big big money football to be like as an experience. Um The atmosphere, yeah, I just I couldn't fault that at all. But yeah, sorry, ra- sorry, random fact there. <laughs> no, no, into- no it's, good. it's
0: it's good because I think it just reminds us all that without crowds and without fans and without atmosphere, football is soulless. You know, there's only so many times I can hear a footballer A say to footballer B, oh, you twat, and hear it on the loud mics and find it funny. Like, you know, there's only so many times I can hear Mikel Arteta screaming 14 different languages and go, oh, that's quite impressive. You know, the game without fans literally bringing us right around to the start of this podcast is nothing. Um, so, no, I, I completely agree. And we did have a question, actually, Lana, so I'll, I'll save my question. I'll ask you this one instead, because it's a good question um, from, from Aris in the chat. And he just said, uh, do you think the fact that PSG didn't go into the ESL will reduce the hatred towards them and their fans in general? They're hardly saints. But do you see uh, and also do you see Mbappe or Awa moving in the summer? Um, yeah, more on the main topic or main point of there. It has been quite a good week in terms of PR for PSG, hasn't it? I mean, you can't forget the fact they are Qatari-owned and, and everything that goes with that. But El Khalifi is now on the board, I think I'm right saying. He's been sworn in over since Agnelli left in the UEFA Council. And, you know, they get a lot of shit. Let's be honest, PSG, for being, uh, you know, a, a fabricated club and no history and all this. But as Tom's just said there, they do have loyal fans. They do have a huge commercial element they do have a very marketable commodity, if you will, and all of a sudden they don't look quite so bad, do they? After all this has gone down,
1: they're the lesser of two evils, basically. <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: or three or four or it, twelve evils. Yeah,
1: yeah, but they're always going to have haters. To put it bluntly, uh, there's you know there's going to be people who are against their whatever ideology philosophy is, because you know you know what certain clubs' philosophy is. Theirs is obviously big money, having the best, being the best. And I've been to Paris a few times. I've been to the stadium when Zlatan scored again, played um, in PSG, played Toulouse. Uh, And that was like, I have a lot of PSG fans who have been fans way before the Qataris came in, when, you know, Ronaldinho used to play, when Arteta used to play for them they have a huge, immense history. Um, They were just not as big as, you know, when the likes of Saint-Étienne, Marseille, Lyon, Bordeaux were, you know, up and coming. Um, But to say that they don't have history just seems a bit, you know, stupid because people, you know, need to educate themselves. Um, But I agree with what Ross said about the whole Neymar thing, because for me, being a League One fan... That was like, okay, we just got rid of Zlatan. Now here comes another bully to bully the rest of the clubs. But I think not to, you know, uh, step on any toes. Oh, well, whatever. I don't care. (laughs) I think it's easier for clubs to stop Neymar than it was to stop Ibrahimovic. It's easier to predict him. Uh, He's also said so himself. He doesn't feel he gets enough support uh, in League One. Uh, and I'm like, well, welcome to, you know, to everyone else in league one. Cause you're basically, you know, it's enough that we get bullied by one of your colleagues. We don't need to be bullied by you as well. So, uh, when he arrived, it was like just a big blow, uh, because we knew he wasn't coming because he wanted to play in league one. It was because of the money. It was because PSG could afford it. Uh, maybe for him, it was more about stepping out of Messi's shadow more than anything. Uh, Because remember, you know, the game against PSG where he was so instrumental in the huge comeback, but Messi got all the glory for it. Uh, So I can understand him wanting to leave uh, because of that. But I think I had the same feeling when, ironically enough, Ronaldo joined Juve. The amount of money we splashed on him. Uh, And I felt detached from Juve for a very long time especially since the way they treated Del Piero. It's just like, it's a club legend. He is, you know, the greatest for the club. And it just slowly, you find yourself being less and less involved. That's why I just dived into League One, just following uh, the women's and the men's club. Uh, but in the space of one weekend, both the women and the men let me down, which is very unusual, to be honest, because I can always rely on the women to you know, the women, keep me yeah. up. Yeah, and they were just like, it was shocking because the boys won and the women just like crashed out. And I'm like, what? No, our championship streak is over. It's like, <laughs> fine, I might be a bit spoiled. Winning it five times in a row, it's, I mean, someone else can have it. But it just, I've found a lot of joy in women's football for the past few years. So I really recommend it. Um, it's just so fun to watch a club being so vocal about Treating both genders fairly, and yeah. Aulas has been the biggest champion of women's football. You don't have to like him; he's not very liked by many clubs in England. But when you want to, you know, when you want equality, when you want someone to treat you fairly, he is the man to do it. Um, and we see that you mentioned City earlier. What they've done for their community—just look at the way they've built up their women's team because their president mentioned that they followed the Leon model. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was just really nice to see how he wants, you know, both uh, genders to be treated uh, equally. And we're seeing that the same in PSG as well, Uh, with Al Khalifa wanting to focus more on the women's team as well as the men. Uh, So um, maybe less hated, but will always be the club to want to hate, because that's just how society is. Um, so, I don't know. Do we need to answer the uh, other players leaving question?
0: I oh, will save that. I will save that for another day, I think. Because uh, <laughs> I, I have a feeling that one of the two might go, but I think it might be the latter. But we shall see. Uh, and as for, as for PSG, uh, I, I wonder how, how long this um, sort of newfound respect for PSG will last if they end up winning the Champions League. I, I imagine everyone will hate them all over again. And in, and in terms of the ownership, um, yeah. I think we can all agree where the money comes from is is less than ideal in terms of the country and the you know the the way that wealth is made. Same with Manchester City, but I guess the only thing you can do when you're either born into wealth or, or you have access to unlimited wealth is is try and use that quote unquote dirty money for good. That's the only thing you can really do. Um, you know, if it's a very different thing to to make money profiting from the downfall of others if you've got that money and you want to turn that into into something for the for the good of the community and for the good of the the business you're injecting it into that's the only thing you can really do and if people want to judge i guess they're gonna judge Um, i want to finish with a a fun question just just to lighten the mood because it it was a fun question and it always intrigues me uh and it came from scrolls up scrolls up scrolls up Uh, i can't find the question uh, I will find it, but somebody asked, um, who was the player? Uh, here you go, Adam Adam Bennett. Uh, what player made you love football? Um, I, w- I was going to add in on why, but I'm conscious that we're going to wrap up fairly shortly. So, what what player made you kind of love football? And it doesn't necessarily have to be a player that everyone knows, and it doesn't have to be a player from the club you support, but is there a player that, that made you love football? Uh, Tom, I'll start with you. Is, is there a player that you particularly found an affinity towards?
2: Oh, wow. I was hoping you'd ask last. I was trying to wrap my brain. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Oh, th- one standard. I mean, as I mentioned before, I grew up watching, um, a lot of clips of George best. Uh, my dad absolutely loved him as a player. So that whole gritty running through the mud, getting the absolute everything kicked out of you as you run through like, not, and, the yeah, that, that, that kind of old school football, um, just watching those clips from years and years ago, I, I think I'd have to go with George Best for me, 100%. Um, and I think that's why I have kind of a slightly... When when people go with the whole... Uh, slight tangent here, but they go with the whole Ronaldo versus Messi thing, even as a United fan, watching Messi for me, because the the side to Ronaldo, which I've never liked, is that whole, if he gets kicked, he goes down kind of thing. Whereas I've seen, although Messi will go down, there there have been, especially in his earlier career where I'd see very strong similarities in style of play with him and George best going around three players, getting lumps kicked out of him, still going. Um, But yeah, that for me, I think if I had to, if I had to pin one player off the top of my head, yeah, I'd go, I'd go with George best. I think.
0: Good shout. Yeah. Yeah. Good shout. Um, Ross, you get the, uh, you get the stick next.
3: Uh, I think I think I've got to go with three actually, which is not exactly a fair answer. But I think um, I bet I know. The first, I bet I know one of them. <laughs> if you're going to say Matlatiz, it's not. Damn. Um,
0: oh, okay. Oh, I'm wrong. <laughs> I
3: just missed the Matlatizier. era. I think he retired in 2001, 2002, and I really got into football in 2003. My first real memory of football was uh, the FA Cup final against Arsenal in 2003. So I just got in past past the Letiz era. So the first one is JJ O'Kocha. Um, because my first real interaction with with football was uh, via the, the old FIFA games on PlayStation 1. And I really liked, as a kid, I really liked the old Bolton logo, which I think was just a ball with a load of threads like trailing away from it. And I, for some reason, I just loved the Bolton logo. So I always played the Bolton Wanderers on FIFA when it was like to the FIFA 2002 or whatever it was on the, play, on the PS1. And I always scored with JJ Okocha. He was just the easiest player to use on that team. And I was always scoring goals with him. And I loved it. So that was the first one. The second one when I actually got to start watching football was Paul Scholes. I've always thought Paul Scholes was one of the best midfielders in the history of football, but because he's a small ginger English bloke, he didn't always get the credit that he deserved. But I thought Paul Scholes was, <laughs> was magic when on his day. And then when I really, really started to develop a passion for football was when Southampton were relegated to League One. At that point, Ricky Lambert became my, my go-to football player. You know, he took us up the leagues. He was uh, one of the best strikers we've ever had. Um, and he's still one of my favourite Southampton players today. So it's, it's a bit of a cheat to include three, but I think that kind of shows my progression as I got older as, and the more I was exposed to football. JJ Okocha, Paul Scholes and Ricky Lambert.
0: I think I think we can let three slide. I think we we can allow that. Um, and the same question to you, Lana. Um, why do you love Alex Lacazette the most? No, uh, I think I think you've already touched on your love for Zlatan. So I mean, that one that one's a given. So I'll, I'll sort of change the question slightly and say, is there anyone else that maybe? we don't know that you have a a love for that maybe doesn't involve some form of kidnap and putting them in the basement that you can keep forever and ever and ever
1: (laughs) well I'm gonna go with two since Ross took three Uh, my favorite all-time player uh, has and will always be Zinedine Zidane the man made me fall in love with France. He is the reason why I still support them to this day. He's also the reason why I followed Juve, Uh, because I, you know, just wanted, I w- wanted to know where he played, because I wanted to watch him every week. Because he was, it was like he was a magician. You cannot e- explain just how good he was. For me, he will probably always be the greatest midfielder of his time. Um, second one. Is Alessandro Del Piero because he, for me, he embodies what loyalty is, what dedication is, what love is because of the fact that he went down with Juventus and brought him up again, that he stayed through the good and the bad. And whenever I think of loyalty, I think of Del Piero going down with Juve and bringing them up again. So, yeah, it's a
0: good shout out. It's a good shout. It does take me back because he stayed, didn't he, when Juve went, yeah, he, him and Buffon were the two that, that really stuck and it out. Trezeguet.
1: and
0: Antresge, yeah, yeah, fair point. It's still it's still mental to think that, that Juve were in Serie B. It still doesn't seem, it just doesn't seem real, does it? It's absolutely nuts. But no, I think they're, they're all excellent answers. Uh, I particularly love uh, ross's jj Kotcher. back in the days when fifa was actually a video game and not just a horrendous online sweat fest of abuse
2: that's the whole <laughs> good time for itself
0: yeah <laughs> trust me it is yeah we, we've done a couple of fifa specials with content creators and my god it opened some debates but uh good good stuff um guys i've really enjoyed that i think i think it's been really fun and um at the risk of uh, doing a little bit of of plugging here i'm going to plug so um for those people that have been in the chat tonight thank you very much for for tuning in and, and for being a part of this. We we said all along when we started this podcast we were going to try and keep it weekly and everything and then life kind of just gets in the way, you know? And um that was the only reason that we we kind of ended things and and we've always said that we'd like to to come back and do these as and when we can. So we're not going to sit here and make promises that that we're back sort of regularly because as I say, life is still getting in the way. We all have jobs and commitments and all that goes with it. But what I will say is, if you have tuned into this live, or if you're watching this later on in delay, uh, or if you just stumble across us randomly, uh, as I've been YouTube surfing, it's quite fun. YouTube surfing—you just go from one video to the next. It's great fun. But if you have stumbled across us and you like what we do, um just let us know. Stick a stick a comment in. um Let us know that you've enjoyed it. And of course. Um, Stick a thumbs up. I think that's what the kids say now and, and ring the bell and, and all of that jazz. Um, but um, a, a big thanks to to Danny as well, who people won't know uh, is in the background fiddling our knobs as he does so on a regular basis. And um, we are part of the, the Arsenal uh, Bird Camp Wonderland podcast. We're on this platform because, um, quite frankly, I'm too stupid to learn how to set these things up therefore i let danny do all the hard work and, and i just talk rubbish so thanks to uh, to danny and the abw crew but more importantly thank you to uh, my guests tonight uh, lana it's been a pleasure as always and uh, never change
1: i won't just for you
0: <laughs> i never expected you to, to, to do any different um ross i hope i i genuinely hope this isn't the last time that you'll pop with this again and uh whatever it takes I'll, I'll drag you kicking and screaming on whether it be to talk about fifa or the color of the sky something we'll have you back on i hope so it's been good to have you back
3: yeah the next time we get kit 9 nil, he'll have me back yeah <laughs> no it's been uh, it's been a pleasure thank you very much for having me
0: Good pleasure for, for for us having you as well. Uh, and Tom, what a debut! Uh, for for a man who's uh, is this your first ever podcast?
2: Yeah, yeah. Usually my um football ranting is down the pub, a few pints in. So uh, <laughs> it's uh yeah, been a different experience, but I've loved every minute of it. So yeah, big thank you for having me on.
0: Yeah, you're you're more than welcome. Uh, and it's just just proof that um, sometimes it's just nice to just reach out to people because you never know you might end up on a random podcast. Exactly what you <laughs> yeah, Tom exactly. did. <laughs> um if people want to follow you interact with you tom you're on you're on twitter as well and am i right in saying you were you were saying that you do some commentaries football as well
2: oh no 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 that's a completely different um that's actually for a video game i commentate over video games as sad as i am um oh, wow. but okay. I, I do, it's a, it's an amateur level yeah um it's just for a bit of fun that i started up um and started getting a bit of following on twitch on that so yeah completely different completely different uh side but, but <laughs> i'm sure people in football won't really be too too interested in that anyways but yeah no plug, that's plug, uh, plug away, mate. if you've got a
0: twitch channel plug away there's no oh, well, i mean you're, you're li-
2: if if anyone likes call of duty and uh <laughs> so a bit of a random so i know ross likes his video games but i don't know if this is up his street but yeah it's uh the the twitch channel actually was uh, i made it when i was slightly uh, intoxicated so it's a uh, major underscore chafing um so <laughs> yeah so if, if you do want to drop us a follow over there that'd be uh yeah greatly appreciated
0: it all comes out, doesn't it? And uh, what's your Twitter handle <laughs> as well, if people want to find you?
2: Oh yeah, it's uh, it's just at Tom JB ninety four.
0: Excellent, excellent, good stuff. We'll, we'll certainly um, we'll certainly have you back on, I'm sure. And uh, as I say, if if there's if there's enough people that want us to to hop on again, um, this won't be the last that you'll hear from us. What what we'll probably do is we'll we'll keep it to just sort of isolated specials for now and uh and if we can put together something on a more regular basis next season um, when hopefully fans are back and football feels a little bit more normal again then uh, we'll see what we can do uh, and we'll certainly look to get uh, the rest of the crew back on as well so thank you uh, it's been a pleasure thank you very much for those who've tuned in live and of course those of you who'll be listening in delay uh, and as danny, as danny puts in the chat we'll uh, we'll see you all in two years but uh jokes aside thank you very much for joining us thanks again to the abw podcast that we've been the football hipsters keep your beard strong and your glasses trendy and we'll speak to you very soon